Welcome to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations with Nina Impala. Do you have questions about death? How about events surrounding death? Or perhaps you have questions that need to be answered after death. On this program, we talk frankly and openly about the subject and invite you to share your comments and experiences as well. Now, here is your host, Nina Impala. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. We're going to be talking about hospice today, and I've got two very special people with me that I would like to introduce to you who are doing some incredible work in hospice. Dr. Bob Uslender graduated summa cum laude from the University of Illinois with a degree in biology and received his MD from the UCLA School of Medicine. He is board certified by the American Board of Emergency Medicine and is a member of the American Association of Hospice and Palliative Care. Dr. Uslander works with Elizabeth Seminova, and Elizabeth holds a Master of Social Work with Honors from the University of Southern California, a Master of Theological Studies from Wesley Theological Seminary, and a BA in Ethics and Social Justice with Honors from Georgetown University. She is a member of the National Association for Social Workers and in 2007 was ordained in the Ecumenical Universal Life Church. They lead the team and are dedicated to helping people live with peace and joy without fear and struggle at any stage of life, especially in the face of challenging and terminal illnesses. Wow. So welcome to the show, Bob and Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. So let's just dive in here. And Integrated MT Care, I was all over the website, and there's a lot of things that your team does. But I want to start with, Bob, tell me, it's, well, you, we know that you work out of, outside of the insurance model, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but what drew you to open Integrated MD Care? So it, it was kind of a, it was a journey, um, and there wasn't, it wasn't like a straight path. Um, ultimately, it's at, at the kind of the, the foundational level, I wanted to be able to deliver optimal care to people who were struggling and needed support. And I, and I saw that the system wasn't able to provide it on a consistent basis. Yes. And I had seen really good care and I had seen pretty shabby care. And I saw the impact that that had not only on the patients, but on their loved ones and the people who were left behind after somebody died. Yeah. And the ability to make a difference and provide, you know, a high level of support and guidance mm-hmm. would allow people to go on and, and A, to have a peaceful last phase of life and a peaceful death. And the people that were left behind could feel like they had done everything possible and, and really honored their loved one. And they didn't struggle with the same kind of trauma and grief. Um, so I had had a lot of experience in both emergency medicine and then in providing home care for people in a non-medical fashion. I'd started a house call practice. I had done hospice and palliative care. And I took all of those experiences and skills and created a, a very holistic, um, person-centered practice to, to just be able to deliver the best possible care. And I love I love what you said on a consistent basis because we know that we've seen really great care and on them sometimes we've seen it fall and being able to allow people to know through this show today honestly about really good care and what that means at the end of life. So 
working out of the insurance model, how does that work with other hospices? So if if someone was on, let's say I put my mom on hospice, but you know, there's just, I just wanted her to have a little more. How would that work with your team? So our model, our practice doesn't have any financial impact on any options covered by insurance because since we are not billing to insurance, there's no conflict at all. So someone could be on hospice and engage our services in addition. Okay. If that were something that they wanted. Yeah. Optimally people will reach out. The, The best, the best situation is when people reach out to us and connect with us before they make decisions about going on hospice. Yes. Because hospice may not be the right call at that time. They may not be looking at the, the best hospices. They, there's things that can be put in place. A lot, of, a lot of times people go on hospice because that's what they're told to do because whoever's guiding them doesn't, it doesn't, have, doesn't know about any other options and they believe that that's the only thing available for them at that point. And that's not the truth. And Having advocates and guides who are experienced in all aspects of care and all the resources that are available, we get yes. sometimes it's just people don't need to engage us to actually provide ongoing care for them. Just you having could, a conversation or kind of an assessment will give them a lot of val- valuable information that will save them a lot of heartache and, and struggle. The thing that it always blows me away, you know, when people have come to me before and what's happened is they go to a hospital and the hospital assigns the hospice and they have no idea that there are so many of them and that they could actually have a choice or yelp it for, for, you know, or yelp it and just look at hospices or something like that. They go with exactly what they've been given. And so it's really important what you're saying about this because people have options. I think one of the, one of the most difficult things in those spaces is as as the patient and as the loved ones who are trying to help navigate the transitions that they're experiencing, there is so much information to process. There are so many decisions to make. And as you say, the information that's given is limited. And that's a a factor of the system and that's okay. But when people connect with us, they're able to get a personalized exploration of what their needs, interests, goals, and resources are, and then we can help guide them to what might be best for their specific circumstance. Correct. You know, and and I know we were, we had a little talk on the phone before we had the show, and it comes up again for me, Elizabeth, is when I talk to people and people ask me, and I'm sure you, Bob, and Elizabeth, you have been in a place before where people say, you know, how do you do what you do? And then that to me, that's an opportunity to educate, you know, where I was telling this lady the other day, she was uh, asking me about my work and my sh- the show, Inspiring End of Life Conversations and all these things. And, and, I, and she said, how do you do what you do? And I said, it's just like anything else. It's the beginning of life. You get pregnant, you've you're got a baby coming, you have nine months to learn about this baby and read the book and do all of these things to prepare to bring this baby into your life. Death is no different. And so that was, you know, kind of what you were talking about, Bob, in the beginning of the show, you know, what you witnessed being an emergency doctor and all those things. And for me in my life, what I've witnessed, Elizabeth, what you've witnessed, 
bringing that education to people and letting them know exactly what you just explained, Elizabeth, is, is people getting to know what they can do. The path forward is the word that you used on your, on your website. And I just love that is the path forward when, when time changes things. That was beautiful. Yeah. And I, the path forward. Yes. So I, I think that what, what you just shared, so few people really think about and explore what they might want and need in our society. We're not really taught to think about or explore what this time in life might bring for us and what might be important. And then it's hard once you're there to find people who have the time and expertise to guide you through all of the different things that are coming up, the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of everything that you're processing and encountering in that space. Right. And one of the things that integrated MD care does also is like, let's say, you know, we're not sick, but you know what? I really want to know. I've been having some things going on in my life and, you know, what if I get sick? And even if there's no medical condition, you your integrated MD care provides a service, correct? Correct. That's so we so we do a number of things. We we work. We do planning for people. If people are wanting to talk about like what what the rest of my life might look like, what if I get sick? What if I, you know, I lose my ability to communicate because of dementia? What if I have an accident? We help people, you know, look at all of the possible issue, you know, things that can impact their health and, and especially focusing on kind of the end of life period. And we mm-hmm. help put a plan in place so that they have, that they're able to, you know, explore what they would or wouldn't want, articulate it, document it, communicate it with their loved ones so that they feel like, you know, they're protected because they've, you know, they, maybe they had a loved one who went through a difficult end of life scenario or something, some, something happened to somebody and they weren't prepared and, so some of what we do is planning. Mm-hmm. Then we, we have Elizabeth is a, a psycho-spiritual counselor and is incredibly gifted at helping people who are struggling from any kind of loss or transition find their, their path forward, find a way within themselves to, to find peace yes. and, and achieve you know, a, 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 more, a more graceful way of being. And then that's, that's one of her gifts. And, you know, the practice didn't start out with, with that as one of its, as, as one of its services, but, you know, Elizabeth came along to provide care for end, people at end of life. Right. And, and then there's, there's really no difference between dealing with someone who's grieving over the loss of a, of a loved one versus grieving over the loss of a marriage or a job or their capacity to not be addicted or, you know. So, so here's the thing, you know, it's the entire package. You know, when I look at life myself, and this is what I like to ingrain in people, dying is about living. It's just, it's about living. It's about life and integrating it in, whether you're dying, whether you're not dying, whether you're battling an addiction because you're in pain or you had some kind of trauma that affects your death. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And so you're living a life that's not full and you're mourning or you're addicted or you're confused. And, and then, okay, so I know I'm doing this big scenario, but I've seen it happen where there's an accident or you get a cancer diagnosis, but you got all this stuff hanging out over here that you've never dealt with. 
And I mean, I've had patients before in my own, in my own little practice where I've had people have to get sober and clean at the end of life. I had a patient once that I was visiting and she was so sweet. And I think she must have been like a Vegas showgirl or something. Mm-hmm. I walked into her room and there's all these really glammy clothes and feather boas and all this stuff. And I'm going to be very graphic here. She was vomiting in a bucket. And I looked at her and she was cute as heck. And I said, did you try drinking last night? She goes, yeah. And I, I said, you know, it's probably going to be a little hard to do that with the meds that you're on right now. And so then I just moved her through it and found the pain. And she was able to, you know, get past that during her dying process when she was on hospice. So what you're giving, and then I want everybody to know that, you know, if someone's struggling from an addiction, and maybe they don't even have that diagnosis, but what you just said, Bob, was so important because take care of it now. You know, just take care of it now. Mm. And I think people don't really think about that. It's yeah. separate. It's Many people until something, you know, until they hit bottom, until they have some loss that, that is so traumatic. Right. Um, but, you know, that's one of the, one of the things that I think we're both, we're, we're both really passionate about is that we meet people where they are. Yes. We, there isn't, you don't have to have a specific diagnosis condition. You, we just, you, you meet them where they are. You learn yep. about what's happening, what's important and help empower them with information. Mm-hmm. and provide guidance and permission. And there's no judgment in it. There's just there's no, there's judgment. no judgment in it. I really, and you know, and, and without the medical model, I think with M- integrated MD care, people can be more open and free. Sometimes that medical model kind of, and without the medical model, I'm sorry, insurance model, forgive me on that. <laughs> with the insurance model, a lot of times, you know, there's limitations so can I have a nurse come every day? Can I get this medication delivered at eight o'clock on Tuesday morning? You know, just little, little tiny things. Is a social worker going to come three times a month instead of once a month? You know, just little things like that are kind of moved out of the way. Would you say that's a true statement, Bob? I think it's absolutely, it's absolutely true. Removing some of those, some of those barriers, some of the things that cause frustration yes. and uh, anger and stress, you know, I think that I know that we have saved the system um, millions of dollars by being available for people anytime they need us. Wow, so what a great point. They have our cell phone numbers and they have our email addresses. And when we, when they need something, they know who to reach out to, whether it's three in the afternoon or two in the morning or on the weekend. Yes. And the traditional model has people on call who don't know the person, who... You know, their, their knee-jerk reflex is typically to send them to the hospital or yeah. to, you know, do something that is not, necess- not, all, not necessarily aligned with, A, what the person would want and B, what they need in that moment. Yeah. And a lot of times, it's just a call. It's just a phone call or a text. I it can re- relieve so much anxiety and, and unburden the person and achieve, you know, this, this calm, which is what people want. One of my little mantras that I always like people to put at the end of everything is with ease and grace. Mm-hmm. Just know this can happen with ease and grace and calm them down to a point where this is going to be okay. It might be the end of life. 
You may have gotten a really hard diagnosis, but it's going to be okay. And a person can cock their head at you and go, what do you mean? And let me show you. Let me help you. Let me bring that peace and that solace into your life. Well, that's wonderful. And that, yeah. and that's such a, a huge thing to be able to offer. Unfortunately, I think that gets offered by providers, hospice providers and others when they can't really deliver on it. And Agreed. not to say that they can't and don't, but there yes. are many times when things just happen that no one's prepared for and they don't have the resources, the, the staffing, the you know, ability to, and so ease and grace doesn't happen. Exactly. So that, and that's really difficult to, you know, to bear witness to. Believe it or not, Bob, we got to go to break. And when I come back, I'm going to read a story, of, and this is going to be a perfect example of what we're talking about right now. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to inspiring end-of-life conversations if you have a question for nina impala or her guest today call into our program at 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to tutoring for the spirit at gmail.com now back to this week's program and we're back so welcoming back bob and elizabeth from Integrated MD Care. So I want you to just sit back and relax for a minute, and I'm going to read you a story that really describes what we just talked about in the first part of our show. Our 88-year-old father was hospitalized in October of 2017 after suffering a debilitating stroke. He was driven by ambulance to the hospital and placed in a room where he was given very personal attention from doctors, nurses, and specialists. 
After two days there, his primary doctor told us that he would never be able to swallow properly. And if we didn't want, and we didn't, and if we didn't want him placed on a feeding tube, that we should consult with the hospital's hospice care. Hospice sounded like the most humane course of action for our fiercely independent father and my two sisters, and I eventually agreed to hospice. Within less than an hour, everything dramatically changed. All medical services were abruptly stopped, and our father was moved to the, quote, hospice floor. The move, quote, consisted of a mad dash through the back hallways of the hospital. When we arrived at the hospice floor, our father was moved into a room and the hospital staff just left. The floor was scary. Through open doors, we saw patients laying half off their beds, people complaining of pain who got no response or relief from the nursing staff. Our dad was in pain, violent leg spasms, but no pain meds were delivered. No doctor visited him. No nurse checked in with us. The situation was intolerable, so upsetting for us to witness our strong, highly intelligent, charismatic, and refined father subject to such unnecessary pain. I left the hospital that first day of hospice care was determined to find another way. I found it, I found it at 5 a.m. the next morning after searching online. It, it came in from Dr. Bob. I sent him an email at that very early hour, and when 15 minutes, he called me back. Dr. Bob met me that very day at the hospital, met my father, my two sisters, and told me what he and his company would do for me. He was our savior. He arranged that day for an ambulance to pick up our father, drive him to my sister's house. Nursing staff was already at the home, as was a special bed for him, paying meds, staff to monitor him day and night to keep him clean, warm, and pain-free. The end of his life was not easy for us, but oh, what a difference Dr. Bob made. His staff was compassionate, competent, and communicative. We stopped worrying about our dad's medical condition and pain and focused on creating a loving environment for him, singing songs, reading poetry, playing the piano and violin, recalling happy memories. We are so grateful that we found Dr. Bob. He allowed our father to live his last days pain-free, surrounded by three daughters who, because Dr. Bob took care of everything else, could focus on our father and our love for him. When I read that story, I was, I was like, this is what hospice is about right here, is like coming in and just making it time for the family to enjoy each other and be together. Absolutely. So go ahead, Elizabeth. What were you going to say? Uh, no, I, just, I, I, I know that story came from a time before I had joined the practice. Oh, well, it is. And I, it, it really speaks perfectly to everything that I've seen since I've been a part of IMDC. And what you, you know, that, that last piece and what you shared is that, that the ability for a model practice like ours to come in and take care of the things that hospice needs to do, is meant to do, is designed to do, so that the family can just relax and be the family and share in the love that they have to give through that journey is exactly why we do everything that we do. Right. And, and so, you know, I think what I could feel from this when I read this was that the daughter knew there's something wrong, this isn't right, and we can do better. And I, to my audience, if you have that feeling in your heart, act on it. Find something better. Because if something doesn't feel right or wrong or your family member is in pain, and 
people that are in pain don't die peacefully or they hang on. So, you know, pain management is the top thing that we really want for people to have when they go on to hospice. Pain always needs to be managed. Right, Dr. Bob? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So at this point, what I'd really like to talk about is what we talk about where V said, and I want you to, the, the acronym for that, if you could explain that, and the medical aid in dying. These are two subjects that are not talked about a lot, and I really want to bring it in coming from you um, and explaining to us what that means. People in the world think it's assisted suicide, which is a horrible term. And medical aid in dying is a completely different, beautiful way to talk about this. So if you could talk about that, Bob, it would be great. Sure. No, I'm happy to. Okay. Yeah, you know, I think one of the one of our one of our greatest um, services that we can offer people is to help them understand all the options that are available to them as their life is coming to an end. Yes. And the, the traditional system and most medical providers, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, they're familiar with, with, they're only familiar with the standard approach, which is keep treating people until there's no, you know, clear benefit or the patient can't tolerate it anymore. And then they go into hospice where they're provided comfort and medication and support until they, you know, have a natural death. Um, that can work for, for people and sometimes it, it goes well and, and often it doesn't. Yes. And what's really important is for people to understand that they do have other options and they can be empowered to make decisions that align with their values. So that's our goal is to help people make decisions that align with their values and have the most peaceful and gentle death, a soft landing, which is what we like to refer to it as. Okay. One of our patients t- tells me clearly that, you know, when the time comes, when certain things happen, she can't be independent. She's going to fly out the window. She doesn't literally mean she's going to fly out the window because she okay. lives in a one-story house and it's not going to really do much. No. Although she's 97, so probably would. But that's it. That's her gentle and cute way of saying, I'm going to take my, I'm going to take kind of things into my own hands and I'm not going to just linger. Yeah. So, so the options for people who would like to feel more empowered and have the ability to sort of control the, the timing of their death, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's two. One of them is medical aid and dying, which is um, the, the California End of Life Option Act, mm-hmm. uh, which became legal here in California in 2016. And is similar laws uh, exist in about 10 other jurisdictions around the country. Mm-hmm. And that allows a person with a terminal illness who's competent to make decisions to go through a process of requesting medication that if they choose to take it, they can take it and it's a liquid form and they would fall asleep in five minutes and die within a matter of minutes to hours. Wow. Um, and that is one option. And again, that's medical aid and dying. And we'll probably be talking a bit more about that. Yes. The other option for people, which is legal and available to anybody who's of sound mind, is to choose to stop eating and drinking and allow their life to come to a natural end. And you know the, the term for that is VSED, which stands yeah. for Voluntarily Stopping Eating and Drinking. Okay. And 
up until a couple of years ago, I had no real awareness of this as an option for people. My, my belief is that it would have been really painful and difficult Mm -hmm. for someone Mm -hmm. to choose to stop eating and drinking. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't something that was, you know, really in my awareness Hmm. when I started working in, in the hospice and end of life uh, arena. I actually, I was, I was approached by uh, a person who had just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and and while he was still competent and able to communicate his wishes and understand mm-hmm. he 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 feared what was ahead for him yeah he was a an 87 year old man who was incredibly physically healthy oh. he had run a half marathon 2 years before at 85 oh. and had just had an incredibly beautiful successful charmed life mm-hmm. and he saw a path ahead where he would have to be taken care of and institutionalized and a burden for his family for potentially many years. And he decided that he wanted to allow his life to end in a more dignified and, and gentle manner. And so he you know, and asked me to help him. And I, I did. Um, and I did my research and I looked into it and we were able to actually help him experience a peaceful, relatively quick death that his family was on board with, that his other doctors were on board with. Mm-hmm. Um, we went through a process. And and some, subsequent to that, I've had the opportunity to support a number of people with Elizabeth's help and the whole team through the process of VSED. And I think universally, the families, the loved ones who have experienced that and supported you know, their loved one who was struggling and suffering, they see it as an incredible gift. And it, 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 is, it, it gives them a sense of, of peace and satisfaction that they were able to honor their loved one in achieving something that they knew was not possible otherwise, that they did not subject them to years of struggle or pain or, or even days or weeks of struggle and pain. Right. You know, Bob, that was a beautiful way to tell us about both of those uh, other options of dying. To me, you know, the V said it seems rather natural. I mean, in hospice, we witness so many patients that are just done with eating and drinking that it just seems to me, you know, a very, I I hadn't heard about this until we talked about it earlier, is that actually doing that, it's something that I myself would do if I was very, very sick. I I would just stop because, as Elizabeth says, the path forward. I love that, Elizabeth, by the way. <laughs> I just love that. The path forward, what's that going to look like? And it just seems like it would be a natural thing. I mean, is it very hard for patients to do that? Is there any stress or strain with anything like that, Bob? I'm going to let Elizabeth um, share that because she's often very involved with the patients and families okay, as well good. during that time. Yeah, it's like like just to kind of paint me a picture of what that looks like. Um, when that's happening with somebody, I always, food, as we know, in hospice, food and, and drink is a touchy area with a lot of families. and We have to be really careful with it. But yeah, Elizabeth, talk to us more about that. Absolutely. So your, your instinct that it's, it's an organic experience, especially for someone who is already facing their end of life journey is spot on. It's not something that's really talked about much in hospice care 
Um, some nurses and social workers, you'll find more comfortable and fluent in the nuances of it, mm-hmm. others less so. Mm-hmm. But many patients have the instinct as their bodies start to shut down to stop nourishing themselves with food and drink. And it's hard as a family member sometimes Mm -hmm. to witness that. That was my next question. We often associate, especially in our society, we associate giving food and drink as a, a mechanism for showing care and love. And so it can be hard to accept that someone's body actually doesn't want those things and that the most loving and caring thing to do would be to to listen to the course of the person's natural journey and to really honor that by hearing them say, I no longer want food and water. I no longer want to support my body in being strong and functional. I I know that it's time for me to let go. And that can be really hard. Yes. And the big question here for me, uh, because of what I've seen with Alzheimer patients, being completely contracted, you know, just horribly, and they're still being fed. Mm-hmm. This is something that has to be talked about while the patient is cognizant. This is like if I have my dad and he has Alzheimer's, unless it's um, written down for him somewhere, you know, for his, his wish to die, if, if can they just do it then or it's something that has to be chosen by the patient while they're still cognizant? Right. So there are a lot of legal and ethical nuances to that conversation, too. Okay. Where voluntary stopping eating and drinking is something that an individual who is competent can choose and has to be able to consistently choose as they go along their journey. Someone who has Alzheimer's and isn't able to communicate their wishes wouldn't be able in the same way to demonstrate capacity to make that decision. So the family member can't make it then? So legally, there is no requirement that a family member who is caring for a loved one in their home force food and water onto a loved one if they are naturally demonstrating that they cannot or do not want to take it in. Okay. In facilities, there is a legal requirement that staff mm-hmm. provide food and water to their residents. So there's a bit of a question there as mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. what kind of environment someone would want or need to be in, given the wishes that align most with their goals and values. Okay. There's well, also, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. We've had, was, like, there's also the, <laughs> the, the, um, the, the very important question of what the person would want. And so as you indicated, having someone express their wishes and document them is an important step in preparing for their end of life journey. Yeah. In California. Post. Right, a pulse. And if someone indicates in their advanced planning documentation that under the circumstance of not being able to communicate their wishes, they would like their family to withhold food and water, Mm -hmm. there is no legal precedent yet to uphold that document. Mm -hmm. 
And there hasn't been, to my knowledge, any legal precedent to persecute a family member who has supported a loved one in that capacity. Okay. We need to go to break again. (laughs) This is so interesting, and I have a couple more questions, but let's, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this after the break. Thank you. Okay. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nina offers an alternative to traditional counseling. Sessions are not just 50 minutes, but a full hour. When you go in for a regular counseling session, many times you don't remember everything. Nina's difference is a summary email after each session and or a follow-up phone call if needed up to two weeks after. Nina also provides hospital visit consultations as necessary. Sessions with Nina and Paula are $250. And if you book a three-session package, you will get a $100 discount. Let's get you feeling peaceful and happy again. Losing someone we love is one of the most challenging, fearful, and heart-rending experiences we are ever likely to face. In her book, Dearly Departed, Nina Impala shares stories of her experiences as a hospice volunteer for more than 12 years and how those experiences prepared her for the final days of her own parents. Nina emphasizes the importance of being a good listener and living a good life. Dearly Departed by Nina Impala is available in paperback or Kindle edition through Amazon.com or your favorite book retailer. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to inspiring end-of-life conversations. If you have a question for Nina Impala or her guest today, call into our program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to tutoringforthespirit at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Okay, we're back with Elizabeth and Bob from Integrated MD Care and Elizabeth, you had a thought that I want you to finish (laughs) because this was an important conversation. So I wanted to come back to your question about how people experience their their choice to stop eating and drinking. Okay. And it's it's not universal. Everybody is different. But consistently, Mm -hmm. when someone is in their end-of-life journey and accepts that this is their time, and they make the decision to stop eating and drinking as a mechanism for allowing their life to come to a natural close, Mm -hmm. there's a great deal of peace in that journey for them. There's some discomfort around thirst. Yes. Universally, they don't complain of hunger. And with the kind of support and guidance that 
we have been able to provide and thus witness, people have felt held and cared for and nurtured in that space. And so, so many of their concerns that might otherwise arise seem to drift away. So thirst, you know, when I see patients, you know, and their lips are really dry, can they can they put like, you know, how they dab the lips with the little minty sponges or is that gone too? No, that's absolutely. Oral care is one of the most important aspects of okay. providing support for okay, someone good. going through that process. Yeah. So, you, you know, it's interesting. So, so we have, um, we, we use sponge swabs and moisten their lips and we find, we found um, Evian as a facial mist that we oh. can use to spray their mucous membranes and keep their mucous membranes moist and and interestingly, when the the way the the mind the the brain works is that when the mouth is dry, it triggers a response in the brain to stimulate the the sensation of thirst, which causes somebody to drink. Right. When you spray the mouth, it actually tricks the brain into thinking that it's it's getting what it needs, and so that that thirst drive seems to dissipate. So well, that's brilliant. So it's a, it's an Avion facial mist. You're saying is what you use? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we have a we go to Sephora or now we buy it online from Amazon and you know and it's not just for people who are not eating and drinking. It's you know who, who have done that. It, a lot of people just can't drink because of the disease progression. So right. that's something that we find to be really helpful for people. There's other stuff out there in the market, biotin and other know, other things. But, but those are they. I don't. This seems to be much more pleasant. Yes. Um, for people. So yeah, it's Evian facial, facial mist spray. Okay. This is what integrated MD cares about you guys. This, that was beautiful. I've never heard of it and I love it because I've, I just know from being out there myself. So that's great. Yeah. You know, we're, out, we're outside the box. That's what a lot definitely of it is. Outside the box thinking I, outside the box creatively. And yes. So we love that. Yes. Just different, just different little lists, the little nuances and little things that are being done and just to make it all with ease and grace, as I always say. So let's talk a little bit about the, the um, medical aspect of mm-hmm. how to medical aid and dying. Yes. Okay. Yeah. If you, I think people are always very curious about that, Bob. So if you could just kind of paint a little picture of what that might look like. Sure. Sure. So it's, it's, um, it's actually an incredibly beautiful process um, as the way it unfolds and, and what it allows people to do, which is essentially to have as a, an, a suffering insurance policy. Okay. And that's, that's the way that somebody referred to it. And I love that. And it gives them enough, it gives them insurance against suffering beyond what they're willing to. Okay. So, a person who, a resident of California who is over 18 or over and is competent to make decisions mm-hmm. is able to um, request from an attending physician the ability to get a prescription for medicine that if they choose to fill it and take it, will end their life peacefully. Wow. So it requires two requests of the attending physician, which are spaced at least 15 days apart. Mm-hmm. Another physician, a second physician who's the consulting physician, needs to independently assess the patient and confirm that they qualify. Okay. And the patient has to, to sign a written request form that's, get, that's witnessed by two people. Mm-hmm. And once those um, requirements are fulfilled, 
then the attending physician can submit a prescription to the pharmacy for a combination of medications that have been you know, de developed by doctors and pharmacists to be the most effective at, at this, you know, having the, the outcome, which is a peaceful death. And the, the prescription stays at the pharmacy until the person requests that it's filled. And if they request to have it filled, it can be, it's typically delivered to their home. And if they choose at some point to ingest it, most of the time I or one of my team is with the patient and family at the time. Beautiful. And they can take the medication and gently fall asleep and stop breathing and have a, like I said, a peaceful and, and dignified death. Now, my next question on that would be, do people wait or do, have you, I mean. It's across the board. I, I know it's a, it's a great question. And okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and and it, so I would think I think about fifty percent of our of our patients who are requesting support for medically dying or or are considering it are trying to put something in place for some time in the future. These are people with ALS, maybe with cancer, ALS, heart disease. Was, yeah, um, there are people who recognize that life that their life is um, that they're dying. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily know the time frame, but they but they fear that the way things will unfold will eventually cause them to suffer. And they want to be in a position to not have to suffer any more than they're willing to. Do you think there's a financial aspect of this involved? You know, if someone does have ALS and they'd be institutionalized if the family, could, like a woman living alone with a son or a husband, there's no way they could take care of somebody like that, you know? Does that play, in, does that play into it a little bit too, Bob? So I'm gonna, Elizabeth has like she's really wants to answer this one. So <laughs> I don't know about she, that. she has some thoughts about it. So well, I think I think it would it would be absurd to think that as people are considering their journeys, they're not considering all aspects of their life. You I know, mean, healthcare when, in California is it, it, you know it's crazy. So so it's it's some it's something finances are something that are a bit taboo to talk about, especially in end of life care because nobody wants someone to make a decision to let their life come to an end before they're physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually ready, right. just because of a financial burden that they're concerned yes. about. Does certainly, like that, doesn't it? Yeah, certainly it is always going to be in people's minds that they have to navigate the care and lifestyle of their family beyond their physical presence. Yes. But you would never want that to be the motivating factor. And that's part of the assessment process. When people want to engage support with medical aid in dying, there are mechanisms in place by the, the legislation, the End of Life Option Act, um, that support the, the patient and the family in ensuring that they're making the optimal choice for their whole being, I ensuring see. that things like a mental health diagnosis or mm -hmm. financial burden aren't the motivating factors for this very profound decision. Yeah. And the yes. doctors involved have a really strong ethical compulsion requirement um, orientation to ensure that the choice that's being made is being made 
deeply in alignment with the values and goals of the patient and their family. Mm-hmm. So psychosocial, mm-hmm. spiritual, the whole nine yards. Yeah. They go through everything. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this, is, this can be a very deep, I mean, the connection that we make with our patients and families through this process is, is very deep. And oh, it covers many bases. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we're always looking out for those, for the, the things that could, that could flare up or be triggers. Like I, I often have patients who in the company of their spouse or their children say, I just don't want to be a burden anymore. That's and, yeah. and it's, you know, the, that, that conversation is, it's while, while that's, it, it's understandable mm-hmm. how, why they feel that way. I often help the patient understand that's your, your, your daughter, even though yes, caring for you may have be, you know, burdensome at times, she's made it clear that she loves you and wants to support you in any way possible. And you, and you choosing to leave it and, and her believing that you're choosing to leave because you're a burden could could put something on her that could be really challenging. So we, you know, we, we help to fix it, figure that those conversations. I mean, and yes, Bob, I understand that perfectly because I went through that, you know, my mom didn't choose that, but her, what was going on for her was she felt like a burden to all of us. And, and was so hard. That was probably the hardest part of her dying process. You know, she just wanted to make it easy for us. And I used to tell my mom, this is, this is like my, I get to give to you the way you've given to me my whole life. So that's a really great point that you make because then the grief process for that daughter is going to be really, mm-hmm. really hard if this isn't talked through, Thank you know, you. so that makes perfect sense with Elizabeth and you just said, yeah, there's yeah. so many aspects and, to it. And those are, there's so many, and that's why this relationship requires such care yes. and time you know, this is something that other doctors, you know, your, your people's internists or other physicians are able to, to, to do this mm-hmm. and be the physician to support somebody through this. Most of them are unwilling to do it for various yes. reasons. But I'm concerned that when it is done by people who don't have much experience in it, they miss so many opportunities to, to have it, to, to make it be a, the, a whole healing journey. Yes. And the path forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Elizabeth. That's good. Mm-hmm. my new little mantra. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, the, so that so the other fifty percent of people are people who are ready. They're they're at the end stage of pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, yep. wherever ALS, and they they've been thinking about it for a while, and they just finally Come you know got the place. support, or they've been trying to get support and they haven't found it because they've been misinformed or yes. you know Key undersupported. And yeah, there's a lot of misinformation around this. Yeah. And so, and so there are people who are just like, I ready, I'm ready. I've researched it. I know, it, I know what we need to do. I, I want to get it as soon as possible. What do I need to do? Wow. And those are, those are, you know, they, they're also nuanced and there's also a lot of, a lot of discussion that needs to happen with the families and, you know, helping to others. Well, that's to, what, it's beautiful. And I love what you're saying about it. There's a, you know, and, and just pulling it all together and really taking, you know, a good look at what you guys just described is just beautiful because I think that there has been a lot of stigma about it. And I really love what you all just said 
on your website, there is a testimonial about this very thing that will just touch your heart. So if, you know, go to the website, um, it's integrated, um, mdcare.com, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we are getting so close here. It's already time. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you would like to say and where people can contact you, find you, questions, go for it? Well, I, I think the only the main thing I'd like to say is we're so committed to to helping people um, get the information that they need, mm-hmm. and we we will have a conversation, a consultation with anybody, regardless of their you know what what it is that they're needing support in, and we don't okay. we don't charge for that. We we just want to we know that sometimes a little clarity can make s- such an enormous difference in in the person's experience. Can go so, a long way. Yeah. So just having somebody who's who's willing and able to listen, who has the breadth of experience, mm-hmm. is valuable. So on our website, there's an opportunity for someone to request perfect um, a consultation or a call or just reach us for, for anything, and we all, you know then we see if it's a if it's a fit. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank you both. This was so just went flew by. Um, it was full of tons of information, and I just loved interviewing you both. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you, Bob, for being on my show. Thank, thank you, Thank you so much. It was really enjoyable. Fantastic, and have a wonderful weekend. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 So this is a wonderful, incredible group of people. So if you're thinking about hospice, you've got need a little extra care for your loved one or anything's going on in their life, give them a call. Check out their website. It's really beautiful. I'm very passionate about hospice, obviously, and I'm very passionate about end of life. And I want everybody to die a peaceful death, whatever that may be. And that's what we do on inspiring end of life conversations. So enjoy your weekend out there. Have a good fourth and take good care. See ya. We hope you have found hope in this week's edition of Inspiring End-of-Life Conversations. Please join your host, Nina Impala, for another program next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again soon.